The glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory's lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and beyond. Thanks for spending your, whenever you're listening to this, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, maybe you're in the future and listening to this, but wherever you are, thanks for spending part of your day with the gory days. It's that magical time when this is being recorded, at least, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, where people just don't know how to feel yet. But you can feel right at home here on the gory days. My guest today is a returning friend of the show. You I might feel at home. Oh, <laughs> you might remember. And I'll introduce you in a second. You might remember him from such episodes as Pumpkinhead and Hellraiser and Children of the Corn and others. Please welcome back to the gory days, Mike. Woo, yeah. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. I'm doing Life's well. treating you well yeah, out there? Doing okay. Watching doing movies, okay. watching TV. Yeah, how about uh-huh. you? Are you doing all right? Um, I've been writing. I've oh, been writing. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, um, what kind of writing? Well, I've been working on an animated pilot. No, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, with just like um, uh, like 11 minutes, short, short little thing. Um, it started as just a, to practice three-act structure, mm-hmm. but um, now it's like turning into maybe something that like... I'd show two people. Who knows? Awesome. Yeah. Um, Maybe one day you'll show me. Yeah. No, I'd be happy to. I don't know. I haven't written anything really that I'm like uh, willing to show anybody yet. I'm not even willing to say I'm a writer. It's just something I've been doing. Yeah. What's something you've been doing? Bird watching? Um, I have not been bird watching. Anything? um, No, I've been watching shows. That's show show. watching. Um, uh, Oh, The Mandalorian? No, no. I haven't. Oh, you haven't gotten Disney Plus yet? Okay. No, no. But I do have HBO, and I've been watching uh, Watchmen. Oh my god! Good stuff. Oh, so I had an idea to make a podcast about mm-hmm. Watchmen, like okay. to do uh, after I'm in. episode. You convince me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I haven't seen any of the episodes, oh, and okay. I figure they're like five episodes in already. So yeah. I've kind of missed the boat there. And from what I heard, it's um, they designed they they wrote the first nine, and then they don't have any plans for the next ones. Like there probably will be a second season or whatever, but they just have. It's a complete really? story for these first nine episodes. Oh, cool! Mm-hmm. I wonder if that means that like the second season could be could focus on a totally That's different possible, group of yeah. people. Yeah, uh, man, I I wish I had seen some of that. I'd love yeah. to talk to you about it because obviously I'm a huge Watchmen fan of the comic, at least not so much the Zack Snyder movie, but I'm a fan of anything that we can get, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's not that great. So, do you recommend it? Oh yeah, definitely, okay. Definitely. Okay. Did you read the comics? I did not. But I you saw the movie. I saw the movie. Okay. And and that's uh, enough, right? Yeah, you, it does reference to it a few times, and you still kind of get everything that you need in that world. So I feel like it's enough. Maybe I'm missing something because I didn't. I don't know. It, but that feels like the responsible thing to do is to acknowledge the movie more than the comic if mm-hmm. the movie made any kind of major changes. But I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely it has like a like a it deals a lot with racism and right. America, which is it's great. It's way different from the, the themes of the movie. So. It, it feels more relevant, yeah, mm-hmm. to be about yeah. like the white supremacist group and yes. that. I mean, and I'm only speaking from the trailers and commercials mm-hmm. I've seen, but Tim Blake Nelson, I've heard, is really good in it um, as Looking Glass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about Watchmen today. Today nope. we're talking about 1989's Deep Star 6, directed by Sean S. Cunningham, who listeners may or may not recognize as the director for... The original Friday the 13th, 
which was pretty cool. And in fact, there are some like fun nods to that uh, in this movie, specifically at the end. And in the credits, one little fun thing I noticed is that the stunt coordinator for this movie was Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder, whose name I recognize for playing Jason in the Friday the 13th remake. Wow. Um, so, like, Small world. It's, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny how these all work together. Because if you've seen pictures of Kane Hodder, he's, like, a big, like, scary guy. And he, he, he fits the part. So this movie, as I said, is directed by Sean S. Cunningham, but uh, written by Louis Abernathy and credited as co-writing is Jeff Miller. So Louis Abernathy has written a bunch of movies, but what I found interesting is that this movie was one of five underwater-themed feature-length films uh, in the like thriller genre. So in 1989, there were five movies that fell into this. Leviathan, The Evil Below... Lords of the Deep, The Rift, this one, uh, Deep Star 6, and the only one that did well, The Abyss. That's six. I said five. That's six. It's a good year for underwater. It's crazy how this happened. It's like um, when A Bug's Life and Ants get released at the Mm -hmm. same time. Or, um, God, that happened again recently with some other two movies. I feel like it's it's not corporate espionage. You know, it's not like a spy in a production company saying like, oh, they're going to be making this. We need need to have our version of it. No, like the way, I don't know, the way I assume it works is like they paid the same, you know, market research company to give them info based on, you know, future demographics or whatever. And they just said, yeah, underwater movies are going to do really well in 1989, like for whatever reason. So so that's how you end up with uh, six underwater themed movies. I haven't seen Leviathan or The Evil Below, Lords of the Deep, The Rift. I've heard of Leviathan and mm-hmm. maybe we'll cover that on this. But it makes me want to cover The Abyss because Lewis Abernathy was actually friends with James Cameron. James Cameron, who, of course, sure. did uh, Avatar and mm-hmm. Titanic and all these giant movies. When did Jaws come out? Jaws came out, I think, in the 70s. Um, wondering if like the success of that inspired this wave of... Yeah, Jaws came out in 1975. Okay. So this would have been uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years after that. Okay. So, so that's it, some time to settle. Sure, it paved the way. Like um, Just off the top of my head, some underwater-themed movies like The Poseidon Adventure, um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea... It's uh, it's well-trod territory at this point. It's just funny that they all decided that they would do well this particular year. And it's even weirder that this movie was released in January of uh, 1989, January 13th. So they were the first one. And that was part of Sean S. Cunningham, the director's idea, was that he wanted to be first on the scene with his underwater sci-fi action film. So he developed this idea back in 1987 with that express purpose of it being the first. And during that time, or no, when he was ready to pitch it, James Cameron, his friend, came to Louis Abernathy, the writer, and said, please don't release this movie. I want to release a movie just like this. Please don't compete against me, buddy. And Louis Abernathy said, fuck you, and did it anyway. And it apparently, like, destroyed their friendship for a long time until one of them, you know, I'm pretty sure Louis Abernathy came to apologize since... Which one do we recognize? Which one do we remember today? Deep Star mm-hmm. Six or James Cameron's The Abyss? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but I recognize The Abyss. I didn't know this movie. Never until... heard of The Abyss. No. Oh well, I never heard of Deep Star Six. <laughs> yeah. 
Deep Star Six is I've got the posters on my wall. I'm a huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I like that. So yeah, the poster depicts uh, Richardson in his um like whatever you call those those deep diver suits where he's like half eaten and floating above, which reminded me of like a Goosebumps cover. There's something about like the way the poster is designed. Maybe they got the same artist, but it looks like uh, Deep Trouble or Deep Trouble Two by R.L. Stein. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, the film was released by TriStar Pictures in the U.S. in January, January 13th, 1989. Maybe making it the first underwater sci-fi movie of 1989, first of uh, six. So that's about it. There really isn't that much uh, research to be done. There wasn't a ton on uh, Wikipedia or uh, IMDb or any of the articles that I read, so why don't we just move right into our first segment, which is what the hell just happened, where we talk about just a couple of beats to get us through in case you haven't seen this movie, and I completely forgive you if you haven't. Um, but it's if you're interested, <laughs> if you're interested, it's on Amazon Prime. No, it's it's just it, it's in that perfect zone between eighty and ninety, the mm-hmm. uh, 80s and nineties to me, where just like the the way it's shot and the way the film itself looks, and I guess maybe I just like Sean S. Cunningham. Um, but anyway, the story is Deep Star Six, the titular Deep Star Six, is an experimental deep sea U.S. naval facility crewed by a mix of 11 military and civilians. And it's the final week of their tour. And the goal, the project of this whole thing is headed by uh, Dr. Van Gelder, who says they're trying to test underwater colonization methods while overseeing the installation of a new mix nuclear missile storage platform so i pulled all of that from wikipedia because i could not figure out in the movie i don't even remember the name of uh deep space six being well well it's the title of the movie but uh uh, i see what you mean yeah so like the facility the one that looks like atlantis with those penis spires Mm. uh that looks like a bounce house when they arrive that's deep star six um and i uh, I really, I had the subtitles on and I was listening, but I could not tell what they were there for or what they were doing. I knew it had something to do with missiles mm-hmm. that they were testing, and it was vaguely military. So let's meet this crew of eleven military, uh, of eleven people, both military and civilian. So we've got Captain Laidlaw, who's in charge of this whole thing. The station commander, played by, played by. Toreen Black, or Block, B-L-A-C-Q-U-E. I always feel weird talking about these. I was watching part of this with my dad, and he recognized Nia Peoples, who plays uh, the marine biologist. uh, Hmm. What is her name? Scarpelli, who plays the marine biologist. And my dad was like, yeah, it's Nia Peoples from this and this and this. And I was like, oh, okay. So I bring up some of these actors, and I imagine maybe some of our older audience members go, Toreen Block, how do you not know how to say his name? He was in blank and blank. Classic. Whatever, he plays the captain here. So we've got the captain, we've got uh, McBride, I'm sorry, Scarpelli, as I mentioned, who's played by Nia Peoples, and she's the marine biologist. We've got Collins, who's the like female lead of this movie. She's the love interest of the uh, male lead of this movie. If you can even call it that, it's really an ensemble, like how everyone kind of has their part to play, and they just happen to be the ones that survive. Um, but you could make an argument that they were always the hero since they're in that opening image of the two of them laying in bed together talking about, like, what? when are you ever going to marry me? Or whatever. Hint, hint. Mm-hmm. 
And she's played by Cindy Pickett. Or I'm sorry, Nancy Everhard. Nancy Everhard plays uh, Collins. It's funny, they give all of these actors, these characters, the crew members, first names. But in the whole movie, I'm pretty sure they only refer to everyone as their last name. Hmm. Just like The Thing. And I think Alien? Do they refer to everybody in their last names in Alien? All right, well. Then, so we've got Captain Laidlaw. We've got Scarpelli. We've got Collins, who is... It's so weird. She does so much on the ship, but she never actually gets like a definitive title. Yeah, she's she's everything. Yeah, we we learned that she was the first woman to graduate SEALs, like Navy SEALs, and that she's a fast track to the uh, OCS, the Officer Candidate School, which I had to look up because they mentioned it a couple of times. But I, I don't know. I don't know what her specific title is. Otherwise, we've got a physician on the ship uh, named Norris, played by Cindy Pickett. She's you know the the doctor. We've got Miguel Ferrer, who I do recognize from some other things. He's always typecast as, or you know, he's a character actor, so he plays the like the douche, the mm. the guy who like doesn't get along with anyone else and who's high strung and doesn't like doing his job, frankly. Uh, who's the mechanic? And that guy's name is Snyder. We've got McBride, who is the main submarine pilot and the main female, uh, the main male lead, who's got a relationship with Collins. So Collins and McBride are together. Scarpelli's squeeze is a guy named Richardson, who's the engineer. Uh, how many is that? We've got the geologist Bursiaga, played by Elia Baskin, who I recognize from playing like a million Russian uh, characters or just Eastern European characters in movies. And we've got two other sub-pilots. The ones that pilot the remote um, and that go are really the first ones to die are Hodges and Osborne, played by Tom Bray and Ron Carroll, respectively. And then finally, the guy in charge of this whole thing, Dr. Van Gelder, played by Marius Wires, who, once again, I'm sure is a well-known person. I'm sorry if all of these people are alive and listening to this podcast, if they Google Deep Star 6 and find, oh, my gosh, someone's talking about this, and I don't even know how to pronounce your name. I'm sorry. Your children and grandchildren love you. That's all that matters. So that's our crew of 11 people, and they keep saying that this is a changing of the guard, that they're coming down to replace another team, but no one leaves. There's just new people that arrive. And so the whole thing is that Van Gelder is in charge of making sure that they reach their deadline to secure the missile sled, and uh, he's nearing his deadline, and he's in trouble. So his plans are threatened when Bursiaga discovers a giant cave underneath the place that they want to, like, excavate or collapse. It's really confusing. I, I don't know what they're doing, but long story short... They blow up this cavern, and it opens up this huge underwater cave where they send a probe down that gets, like, cut or eaten. I think they were trying to put the missiles down somewhere, but it wasn't stable. So they're like, okay, let's blow that and put it somewhere that is stable. Somewhere deeper? Is that what they were thinking? Not necessarily. Something that's not going to collapse. Okay. like, okay, let's collapse this and put it somewhere stable. Okay. But then... Because that's so confusing because later you see the missile silo and it's so far away that when you detonate it, the shockwaves take like a minute to get to you. So, like, I guess they were going to move the missiles from way over there to down here. No, it's very confusing and uh, frankly, it's going to reflect, reflect my rating at the end. Anyway. There goes the five stars. Yeah, exactly. So... Anyway, Dr. Scarpelli, the marine biologist, begs him, no, don't do it. For all we know, there's there's cuddly creatures down there. And, of course, the doctor's like, no, and they blow it up. 
which releases a beast that we don't get to see until an hour and six minutes into the movie. But it attacks the mini-sub and kills Tom uh, Bray's character. Um, it kills the sub-pilots, Hodges and Osborne, and then attacks the sea cat that um, that Collins and Bursiaga were in, the geologist and lead, the female lead. I guess I'll just keep calling her Collins. I hope everyone can keep up. I'll try to keep up. Thanks. So as I said, the inciting incident is when the detonation collapses the seabed and there's this massive cavern that releases this thing that attacks them. So Bursiaga and Collins are in a like flooding thing, uh, the flooding pod, and McBride and Captain Laidlaw go in to rescue them. But in the process of doing so, Captain Laidlaw gets like crushed in the hatch. And God, I hate that scene where he's like, clearly dead and he's yeah. like my back my back's broken i'm a dead man go save yourself isn't there like uh the other two go on uh, like the remote they try to like explore the cave and then they have some remote thing missing. yeah yeah they sent a uh a probe. I, yeah they send a remote and then it gets cut and mm-hmm. then they follow after it and that's when um hodges and osborne get killed okay so then collins and bursiaga are in and they're like what's going on the thing the same thing that attacked the remote sub attacks them and now call uh, now mcbride and uh captain laidlaw go mm-hmm. in Captain Laidlaw dies, Bursiaga dies, so McBride and Collins are the only ones that make it back to the base. And since uh, he's dead, since their captain is dead and things aren't going well, they decide that, okay, we're going to abandon this base. Like, there's something down there. We've lost four people in, like, 20 minutes. We're out of here. And we also learned that McBride and Collins are pregnant, so that's fun. Which pretty much guarantees that they're both going to live in this kind of movie. Like, if they're two white, beautiful people who are pregnant, they're going to be just fine. Both of them. Maybe the man will die, but that kind of, you know, sets her up to be a single mom, which Mm -hmm. audiences don't like. So It's not uh, doing well with demographics. They got to make it. Yeah, so of course she's going to do fine. As soon as they, like, it's your baby's heartbeat, I was like, oh, okay. You guys are going to be just fine. Safe. So uh, the second inciting is- incident is when Van Gelden begs them that before we leave, we have to secure that missile uh, s- missile sled. And uh, because Captain Laidlaw's gone, Snyder, the hothead, is the one that has to do it. And his mistake here is so confusing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I feel like it's supposed to be to make it like, oh, anyone could have screwed this up. Obviously, Snyder was not supposed to be doing this. He doesn't understand the protocol. But I love this, 80s movie computers, where you just type in a <laughs> sentence and it replies and asks for a clarification. Like, oh, by aggression, do you mean this, this, or this? Or by abandon, do you mean this, this, or this? And uh, he reports aggression because it was a a monster, but the computer interprets that as, like, human aggression, like, oh, Russians or something. Mm -hmm. So it recommends detonating them uh, instead of letting them fall into the wrong hands, which I guess makes sense. So he detonates them, and he comes down, and he's like, hey, I I did the thing you asked. (laughs) Mission accomplished. They're like, what are you talking about? And they look, and like, oh, my God, the shockwave is coming. You just detonated nukes underwater. And uh, it, like, destroys the life support system. They run out of oxygen. But the most important thing is that it destroyed the uh, cooling system for the ships or for the base's nuclear reactor. So within four hours, we get our time crunch here. Within four hours, the nuclear reactor is going to go critical and it's going to explode. No mention of irradiating the ocean. 
but or uh, where are these nukes going? I mean, or or well, yeah, how dangerous it is to have like residual radiation, yeah, floating around in the ocean. But that's not important. What's important is getting the oxygen back and the decompression chamber on so they can get out of there. So Richardson goes out to fix the decompression thing in what they call a gym suit, which is J I M. I don't know what that stands for, but it's the one where, you know, it's like a, the super diver bubbly uh, suit, which is fine because it harkens back to like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea where you have to like dive down in a diver suit. That was what I was, that was the word I was going for. And then the creature attacks him and they pull him in through the airlock and he's fine until the creature bites his lower half off and they hoist half of him up. And poor Scarpelli gets so freaked out at seeing her lover get bit in half that she's kind of panicking and she dies too. So Scarpelli's dead while Collins and McBride and Norris and Van Gelder and Snyder all get out of there and they start arming themselves. Finally, they start like taking this seriously. We got to kill this thing. So they get shotguns and more importantly, harpoons. CO2 powered harpoons. Yeah, these super harpoons with explosive CO2 cartridges Mm -hmm. inside them so that when you like stab it, it shoots the CO2 into whatever you're stabbing and blows it up. up. Yeah, Mm -hmm. super lethal. I I wonder if they use those like in real life. They must. So... Anyway, they go back in to finish the decompression repairs, and once McBride does, the creature attacks again, and this is probably, like, the best look that we get at it yet. It's really cool. Um, It's got, like, three, like, predator jaws, and it's got those, like, little scorpion, or not scorpion, what am I thinking? Like, crab, like, lobster eyes. Yeah, it looks like a... Crab. Yeah, yeah. Um, very. Before that scene, it looked, I thought it was like an alligator before that. Yeah, or like one of those um, trilobites, like a giant trilobite or something like that. But uh, Or the, horseshoe crab, maybe. The thing I was picturing is the, um, did you ever see Atlantis, The Lost Empire, uh, Disney's animated no, movie? No. Well, there's a, um, it's not a monster. It's like a robot, but at first they think it's a monster, but it's a like drone program to defend Atlantis. But it looks like a giant, like uh like like this thing like it's a mm-hmm. giant scorpion almost with like pincers and then a long body that ends in the flappy tail kind of like if a mermaid mixed with a scorpion you know like lobster. mermaid bottom lobster top exactly yeah. it's, it's like a giant lobster and so after they go in there and fix the decompression chamber the beast attacks like i said and poor van gelder backs into snyder's uh harpoon and explodes and ugh, i hate that so shot did he, did he back into it or was he like accidentally Trying to lunge forward with it. It wasn't no, clear. Van Gelder backed up because oh, the monsters like startled him and he backed up and mm-hmm. Snyder had the harpoon lower. Right there. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And he backed in and it gotcha. blew up his chest. And that sucks because it sends Snyder spiraling. Mm-hmm. He starts unraveling, uh, which eventually results in everyone leaving him alone, and, which is the he was bit. already kind of on edge because people blamed him for doing the nuke thing. Mm-hmm. And even before that, he had done something else that people mm-hmm. were, were like, they keep building up that Snyder, they keep building up that he's getting beaten down mm-hmm. until they leave him alone. If there is anyone in your life that accidentally kills somebody and commits manslaughter, don't leave them alone. Don't ever leave them alone for any amount of time, even if you have to go get supplies halfway across the room, because they will have a hallucination of the person that they just killed, and it will cause them to climb into the decompression chamber with wanton abandon and not worry about decompression, shooting them up to the ocean until they explode from the decompression. Oh, man, that's my favorite death. That was my favorite death, because, like, I frankly don't understand pressure and decompression i don't either not, uh, not enough to, to really 
yeah. confirm it. So I like it to I like it in movies when mm-hmm. they demonstrate like what would scientifically result from you know these actions and these consequences. So well, seeing, this movie has a lot of other technical goofs that I've noticed. So I'm not sure if that's real or not. Oh, you don't think I, that I they, they they vetted that? They talked yeah. to a scientist I'm about what sure. happens cuz like I think decompression works with just the weight of the ocean. So you've got mm-hmm. the weight of just like trillions of tons of uh, water mm-hmm. and that causes like, you know, obviously pressure because sure. all of that is pushing down and something about being inside a tube that pressure rises itself to the same conditions as up above or at least equalized so that you feel like you're up above. Is that what happens or is it about you acclimating to the pressure down there? Through like a mix of pressure and decompression. So, so I know I know there's a problem if if you um if you are compressed like in the bottom of the ocean, and then you come up. I know you you, you get, get the, the bends. bends, yeah, because your body uh, needs to adjust to that decompression. Yeah, but I don't understand if you're in a pressurized chamber, how does that change? I don't either, because. If he had, because they show at the end that it takes three hours to decompress mm-hmm. um, before you're allowed to ascend. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that that three-hour process is this room, like a like an airplane cabin. It's pressurizing, but I don't know what that so, means. So if they're okay, so they're decompressing there. They're decompressing the the tube or the the escape pod so that it can go up, and that they won't explode like he did. Okay, but then they need to get adjusted to that i guess yeah so i guess the 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 conditions in the tube become like up there but then mm-hmm. wouldn't you just burst once you walk in so i guess i guess they, they do process? it gradually I guess. okay and then once you get to the top because that's it because that's it because mm-hmm. when you scuba dive and you go down really low and you're down there for like a few hours when you come up like you're saying you can't just come right mm-hmm. away you kind of have to come in like intervals over maybe an hour who knows like it probably depends how long you were down to come up and up and up uh and i guess but he was in a what i assumed was a pressurized chamber so either he would have as soon as he walked into that burst burst yeah. or 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 is it to the, i don't know i'm just trying to picture like if you put a grape in there in like a, a grape inside like a a, a pre, you know pressurized cup or whatever and you put it at the bottom of the ocean and then as you like rose it up, like in a scientific experiment, we could do this. Mm-hmm. If like you put a marshmallow at the like bottom and it crunches down and as you raise up, it would expand because yeah, I think you're right. Because, you know, if you fly and you have like a bag of potato chips or something, it does kind of blow up. Yeah. So and those are pressurized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, I feel like maybe there's people yeah. who understand this that are maybe <laughs> screaming at their iPods. But honestly, I would love to know. I would love to like someone send me an article uh, educating me on this because. Mm-hmm. Once in my life, I went on an airplane while my uh, while I was super congested, like mm-hmm. I was sick, oh, yeah, that's the worst. and no one told me that yeah. that's a thing because it's pressure. It's yeah. a it's a lack of pre- like it can't equalize because mm-hmm. of the like blockage or whatever. And I experienced so much pain. Yeah. I remember it felt like my teeth were gonna shoot out. Like specifically, that was the pain I remembered because it's this sinus pressure. You feel like your eyes are gonna shoot out, and all you want is relief. Like you want to just like stick an ice pick and just go, and you'd feel calm. Um, and so like when he's looking at his arm and you see his blood vessels popping, yeah, it that got, awesome. Oh, it was awesome. awesome. And it cringed me so much. And like when he's holding his head and like, there's so much blood coming out of everything. Like 
it looks so painful. Mm-hmm. And then finally you burst and the thing keeps going. And I just picture like the first person to open that up and find this guy exploded in there. But once again, if they did, would it all shoot out? So okay, that, it, at that point, the chamber is super like more compressed than y- the outside. Yeah. So yeah. So it would ex- explode probably. I expe- yeah, I expect it to. Okay. Or maybe there's like a, maybe you slowly release it or something. Like maybe. That. Maybe it auto does that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So anyway, that's how Snyder dies, which is super cool, um, but a shame because, frankly, he didn't deserve that. He just made a bunch of mistakes based on what his orders were to do. So the last three that we are left with are McBride and Collins, who are the two lovers, and Norris, the doctor. McBride swims away to get to the mini-sub, and while he's gone, the creature attacks the, the med lab, and Norris, the doctor, electrocutes herself to save them, and it's she electrocutes the creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, with an overcharged defibrillator. And uh, she says a really great line. She goes, take that, you big, ugly stack of fish shit! And then stabs it. It's super weird to say take that before you do the thing, but what are you going to do? And so after three hours of decompressing, McBride and Collins, who have been asleep um, in a different chamber, escape. And they get into their mini-sub, and the reactor goes critical, but it's not a big deal yeah, not an issue at, this at point. all. They're fine. It's like they got far away enough that all it does is kind of like, oh, jostle their starboard rotors or whatever. Um, so they make it to the top, and they deploy a raft, and everything's great, and then the creature attacks. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> One last time. So it, it can surface, apparently. Yeah, that was the biggest problem I had, is like you, they spend so much time <laughs> demonstrating how decompression is a thing and how it's super important, but not for the creature. No, that's fine. <laughs> the creature can apparently yeah. just ascend to the surface and attack them. And I, I guess whales can go like a 1,000 feet down. Really? They can, yeah, they can come hmm. up. So. Oh, I guess that makes sense, but whales... <laughs> Uh huh. I would love to. I, frankly, I should have done some research on marine biology. That would have been uh, would have done me some good. You, you would have done something about the people who wrote this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I've been doing way too much work. I probably would have uncovered a few yeah, plot wait holes. A minute. Yeah. Um. So the creature attacks McBride. I hate this because Collins has done like almost nothing since the creature showed up. She's just running around and hoping and praying for things to happen. So when the creature shows up here, Collins once again basically just watches as McBride discharges the fuel, shoots a flare, and it blows up. Big giant explosion. And Collins is like, oh no, oh no. And McBride pops up, and they're fine, and they row away to safety. The end. And Fozzie jumps. And, <laughs> uh, and that's that's uh, Deep Star 6. So I had a few questions with uh with this movie and my new in the next segment which is mystery llc where we get a chance to ask each other some rhetorical questions that mm-hmm. neither of us may be able to answer but who knows my first question is why does scarpelli even bother she's a marine biologist brought onto this obviously military tour and i could just i could picture a scene where some like pompous navy captain is like oh we'll just send a marine biologist to please the bleeding heart like liberal well, to shut up Greenpeace or whatever, but you don't have to listen to her because that's pretty much what happens. They, they try to do a lot in this one mission, like, oh, we're gonna go down, we're gonna explore the sea life as well as plant this nuclear missiles. Yeah, they're and- testing underwater colonization and installing nuclear missile platforms. And then when they have time, they also check out the bio life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, Scarpelli feels like she's literally just eye candy in this movie. Nia Peoples, they 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 literally like zoom in on her sweaty abs when she's doing Pilates. Um, and then it's weird when Richardson like 
barges in on her on the shower and it's like what the fuck yeah at first it, but then you realize okay they're oh, together they're a couple, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, i feel like yeah, they yeah. definitely know what they're doing when they set it up that way because yeah. <laughs> he's he's already been established as kind of a creep mm-hmm. um but uh yeah so i don't know if i have an answer for that it's more of just an observation but poor scarpelli she gets shat on everywhere and she really only gets like two opportunities to prove she knows what she's talking about to um make uh to Van Gelden and then again to Captain Laidlaw and they both are like my job is to get this job done not to tickle fish or whatever (laughs) so another one is uh, when Osborne and Hodges the uh, pilots are down in the cavern with the remote uh, Osborne's like oh I don't like caves okay Mm -hmm. I just don't like caves and for some reason he's suddenly claustrophobic with being in, in a, a cave, yeah. even though he's well, inside. I, I kind of get that. <laughs> what do you mean? Tell me. Like, like, how does that make any sense? Wouldn't you be claustrophobic in the sub already? That it doesn't matter. Yeah, but let's say like, let's say like you're in a parked car, but like in a really dense parking lot. Don't you feel like, great? Now I can't get out of this parking lot. So you kind of. I guess you feel trapped, even though you're not trapped, because it's like it's not like. It's so restrictive. Like, I get claustrophobic mm-hmm. watching this movie when it's the two of them and they're, like, such tight quarters and but, you can't turn around. But if, like, if that if that vessel is in the open water, you can at least turn back and go up. When yeah. When you're in the cave, like, you're stuck. Okay, so I, get I get it. I get it. Yeah. I guess it would be super hard to, like, turn around, too, because mm-hmm. visibility, you see, they don't have a window. It's like a no. screen that's showing them, like, a, t- uh, a, a camera on the outside, so... Okay. Uh, so some technical goofs that happened there. One was uh, they, they were like they kind of heard the monster coming towards them, and then they're like, "Okay, no, we we got to go down and and hide from this thing." And he says, "Blow the ballast," which which should decompress it and make them go up. But instead, they go down. B- what's ballast again? So it's this. Uh, submarines have this chamber um, where they have compressed uh, gas, and when they blow it. Like pushes. literally blow it up? Uh, they they release the the valve and, oh, okay. it, and it pushes out the water, so that it decreases the overall uh, weight of the vessel, and so it would be way more buoyant now and it should go up. Okay, but instead they go down. Interesting, because I've heard ballast in referred in reference to like hot air balloons, mm-hmm. you know, and like sandbags, and you release that and you go up. Mm-hmm. So I guess that makes sense that mm-hmm. they're weighted, and so when yeah, you release them, exactly. you go up. Yeah, exactly. They have water okay. that they take on, <laughs> that and then weird. they blow it out, and then they go down. That seems pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Like, they they spent time getting decompression right, but yep. they couldn't get that. Uh, so I have a well, question. We don't know if they got decompression. I don't know. No, least. I don't know. So what the hell is the creature? And, like, what's its whole deal? I don't know. <laughs> so let's assume that um, creatures can survive millennia mm-hmm. in uh, really unique conditions untouched by man. Yeah, because they tell us this this location was really hot and it was kind of like maybe lava yeah. caved or something like that. That it came from like a lava bubble and mm-hmm. that never burst and that created this big giant cavern underwater that was big enough for this thing to survive like off of whatever krill and stuff is down there. Yeah, or maybe it was like... Kind of like frozen in time or something. I don't mm, know. Maybe, and we awoke it kind mm-hmm. of thing, no. or maybe it's like a Godzilla kind of deal where oh, our radiation. I mean, that kind of falls into the theme that I'm getting to. But so it's um maybe it was hibernating or something. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, so the closest thing we get to it is uh, somebody at some point calls it a Eur- Europe 
Eurypterid. Oh, of course. A Eurypterid, I have no idea what uh, is. which is um, they're extinct aquatic arthropods closely related to arachnids. And if you look okay. up, a, if you type in Eurypterid into Google, it looks like this monster. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you see a fossil that kind of looks like uh, Kabuto from like uh, Pokemon, you know? Okay. Um, yeah, like horseshoe crabs. So I don't know anything about, like, we've had the Meg. We've had, uh, what was that movie with like the. Gosh, it's probably Leviathan or one of these, but we've had these movies where it's, oh, an unknown creature that uh, would probably have just, you know, left everyone alone and just been totally happy if man didn't move in on its territory and suddenly awaken it. It's like Cloverfield, like that Mm -hmm. kind of thing where we had no business being there. But they do say it's attracted to or light. It sees light as food. Yeah, that's another thing. A couple so times, maybe that's part of it. Scarpelli brings it up the first time. It's called photomigration, mm-hmm. which once again, if you Google that, there is no definitive like. It doesn't say this is what photomigration means. First, you get pictures of people migrating. <laughs> then you get pictures, which <laughs> cracked me up. Then you get articles about like differing uh, studies and what those that research has shown about like. They're talking about, like, uh, water bears, you know, like tiny, tiny things responding to light as literally a food source. They have an element of photosynthesis. So, yeah, it's played in this movie in that it's attracted to light, and if they shut off the lights or if they attract it with lights, then uh, it'll leave them alone. I, I... I don't know. Is that interesting? No. It's not. It's just... It makes it feel... It makes it feel like it's... well, I guess it plays into the fact that it's natural. It's an it, it's not here to kill them. It's not vindictive. It doesn't hate them for killing its baby or whatever. It's literally just responding to stimuli. And we were just like in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe. I guess I kind of saved that one through right. thinking it through. Yeah. So what else? I mean, what was it eating that was illuminated? That's my big question. But, yeah. Right. Is under this cave at some point it was getting enough light or creatures to sustain itself to sustain itself. And this thing is like elephants have to eat their weight like in every day or something. And this is huge. There's no way that it could have survived down here in the conditions that it was. How big is that cave down there? It looked pretty tight in the way that the remote has to like kind of navigate and go over things. Mm -hmm. So my theory is maybe it was hibernating for a long time. I guess. Yeah. Because having to eat that much is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. There's no way that it could have grown that big. And like you're saying, well, I was just saying, cause like there are creatures that live at the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. that can't come up like whales right. can, you're saying. Um, and I'd have to imagine, maybe it has to do with the creature's size. Is that it? That if they're big enough, they can come up um, that they have big enough, like chambers in themselves. I, I don't know if that's it. I think it's like being able to adjust to the different pressures. So do whales have just like something in them that lets them adjust? I don't know anything. Like, I don't know they, anything. It's kind of, they're kind of permeable so they could, I guess the water kind of interesting. I don't really know something to do with their gills. I don't know either. <laughs> this is the show where we yeah. muse about uh, stuff <laughs> whales we stuff we don't know. <laughs> but even whales can only go like a thousand feet, and that's okay. That's deep. That's still crazy so, deep. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. there some TV show or movie where they had to climb inside a whale's mouth to get deeper than they ordinarily would have? To hide from something? I feel like I saw that and it was like, oh. Sounds like a biblical story. Maybe. Oh, like Noah and the whale? <laughs> Maybe. Or was it Job? Or, uh, I uh, think it's Noah. Noah. It's Noah and the whale, yeah. Are you sure? I mean, uh, oh, wait. Well, no. Uh, Noah's Ark. Right. Uh, I think it was 
Jove who gets no. Uh, Jove is the one who gets like fucked over left and right, uh, like all it? ding dong day for God to prove to Satan that he's always going to be loyal. Wait, so what? I think he was also in the belly of, of the whale. Jonah. Jonah. It's Jonah. The, Jonah oh, okay, and the whale. Okay. Yeah, That's okay. why it sounded like Noah. Gotcha. Yeah, it's gotcha. Jonah and the whale. Okay. Um, Veggie Tales taught me that. Mm. What happens to the freaking ocean now mm. that it's completely irradiated? Two nuclear explosions. One were nukes, mm-hmm. which, as we all know, paint the world in radiation, fallout. And a nuclear reactor, which I learned from Chernobyl, mm-hmm. also destroys the environment in a way that we're still experiencing the effects of. So I think it wasn't clear if it was a nuclear detonation or if it was like a like a, a leakage or something like that. Well, they do say nuclear reactor and critical. So that doesn't, uh, at least, because a, a nuclear reactor can go critical. Actually, when it goes critical, it means it's working fine. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to stay critical. Oh. Um, but a lot of movies get that wrong. Do you know more about nuclear reactors than whales? Yes. Because I'd love to talk about that. Okay, so. A little bit more, not much, though. Okay. Very little. But I know practically nothing about whales but i know that it is supposed to stay critical that's kind of the state it's supposed to be in. that's really interesting so so the main problem that van gelden explains is that the cooling system for the base's nuclear reactor is mm-hmm. down and that means it will go critical in four hours so if you heard that in real life what does that mean yeah so i don't think i don't think critical is the right word but it goes um there's a meltdown a core meltdown meltdown i've heard that too so that's when the core gets too hot and it but that doesn't explode. That's a meltdown. Yeah, which is even worse in terms of radiation. Because when it explodes... It sinks yeah, into the it, earth. It, it either sinks into the earth or it gets into a water supply, and that's when there's a huge radioactive um, waste that okay. just destroys everything. So, But an explosion actually consumes a lot of that nuclear energy, so you actually don't have that much radiation, but the explosion is, is huge. Oh, well, then what happened in Chernobyl? Uh, Chernobyl was a meltdown, I believe. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So a meltdown can explode because Chernobyl exploded. Did it? Yes. Well, I watched the movie. I watched the show. A reactor can explode for non-nuclear reasons, and then the yes, the nuclear matter can like go into the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean it's not a nuclear explosion everywhere, and there's Mm -hmm. a radiated like the lining of the reactor itself will go for miles and land somewhere, and people go, "This is fun," and they die. Yeah, like like Fukushima, that was a uh, a gas explosion, and that spread the nuclear matter. Okay. So there was there was a meltdown, but it wasn't a nuclear explosion. But the 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 main point you're saying is that critical is not bad. It's just yeah, I think it's supposed to be critical. That's when it's working fine. Interesting. That's so funny because critical yeah. obviously you know connotes like chaos and mm-hmm. uh oh. Uh, even in like the Simpsons, I think they <laughs> they perpetuate that. But uh, that's funny. So what would be the proper term? What would I, they? I, have- I don't know, but I think. Critical means it's working as, as intended. That's funny. Yeah. I guess that it goes to show that none of them are nuclear physicists or Well, vision- I mean, so many shows get that wrong, though, so I know that. Oh, does that frustrate you when that happens? No, Do you go like, Ugh. not at all, because <laughs> I don't know any better. But I just remember taking one class when they said, like, no, whenever it's critical, it's perfect. That's, okay. That's supposed to be. Well, for the sake of my question, let's assume that it's not going critical, it's not melting down, it is exploding for no. whatever reason. Maybe they, they get the reason wrong, but it explodes and it causes shockwaves. So is it a nuclear explosion or just an explosion that has nuclear material? Uh, that's quite different. Let's entertain both. Let's let's start with the first one, where it is nuclear material that exploded. So if it's a nuclear explosion, a lot of that nuclear material is used up 
Okay. So you wouldn't get that much radiation. Okay. Would it stay it pretty would much be... local to like that? Oh patch? no, it would be like, like it would catch currents and immediately spread. It would be. I mean, assuming it's big enough, it would be like uh, what what's it called the Nagasaki. It would be like a huge explosion. Yeah, and it would instantly like besides instantly vaporizing any fish nearby, Forget it would poison. Fish. It would like uh, whenever they test nuclear explosions in the water, it for a small period of time removes all the water. So there's like a hole. And all the water flows in there, so it's it's. How, do that, how does that not cause tsunamis? Underwater nuclear tests. It, it, do we even do that anymore? I think so. Underwater nuclear testing sounds obviously bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like a great way to guarantee that our water supply is poisoned forever. See, so there's not that much actual radiation in there because it is used up in the explosion. But yeah, it kills whatever was nearby, and that shockwave destroys. Um, Ships, or not ships, um, all sea life, life yeah. yeah, and or for miles and miles, and displaces the water, like you're yeah. saying, and it comes rushing back in, mm-hmm. and that would cause all kinds of problems up on the surface. So, let's assume then instead that it's the other kind that it's a regular explosion that just has nuclear material that has that's surrounded yeah. by nuclear material, yeah. So, that would for years and years create that entire area, would be just poisonous to anyone who yeah. would walk in there. So that's that's what I feel like happens mm-hmm. in this movie and they just kind of like gloss over it. But yeah. like I oh, feel well. Like, well like if 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 the reactor didn't do it, the nukes that they like detonated had some prop had some residual effects. I don't know. Where are they in the ocean? That's another question yeah. I have. It can't be international waters because they're a U.S. Navy. Well, I mean, U.S. Navy can go to international water. Well, know. yeah, but they can't like Build uh, a U.S. Who will stop establishment? Can you really? USA. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know the U.S. has lots of small bases in different parts of the ocean. I don't think there's any underwater bases. That's a science no, fiction no, no, thing, people, right? But okay, there are some automated because um, there's subs, obviously, <laughs> and there's like you know we've got pipes going all across the world at the bottom of the ocean, and those have to be tended to. But no one like lives down no, no. there like a space like a space station. No, but we have a lot of uh, listening stations where okay. you have like hydrophones in the water, and they're listening to different things. Do you so, think we ever will? Is there any reason to have people down there? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> if you know global warming takes oh, over or something. Wow, I didn't think about that. Is that viable? Sinking I, to the bottom of the ocean? I don't know. Well, that was all the questions that I had. I don't know if anything else was uh, uh, nagging at you, like, what, what? But um, I can move on to the next one, which is Screaming Themies, where we talk about some of the major themes that I picked up on and maybe you picked up on in this movie. The first one is the theme of love, is that love conquers all. McBride and, uh, (laughs) I wrote Joyce, McBride and Collins are obviously an item, Mm -hmm. and Richardson and Scarpelli are also an item. I don't think there's any other romance going on. Like, Norris doesn't have anybody. She kind of implies that maybe she has a husband up on the surface. And so does the Uh, captain. He's uh, got a family. That's right. Yeah, he's got a family. Um, So that's how you know he's going to die. Yeah, (laughs) it's really funny. That's how I also knew Norris was going to die, because she's like, "Uh, are you going to visit me on my farm in New Hampshire? We're going to sit on the porch and watch the dogs? I was like, (laughs) we're about to die. (laughs) Um, so yeah, the, the theme of love conquering all is really like weak. Mm -hmm. It's mostly there just to, 
catapult McBride and Collins to success that no matter what happens because of their love and because of their baby, they will survive. And unfortunately I feel like because Richardson and Scarpelli didn't have a baby and because they're one of them's a person of color, they were doomed to die. And that's a shame that it wasn't going to be the, you know, Asian black moral of the stories. You got to have a baby to survive. <laughs> moral of the story is have a baby and you'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. At least according to these eighties and nineties. Don't movies. have a family outside. No, of the- <laughs> no. And don't let that baby grow up. No, Cause no. once they're old enough to, to draw a picture, then you're done. done. <laughs> That'd be really funny in a movie that a kid comes up to you and goes, daddy, daddy, I drew you a picture. And you're like, oh, keep that thing fuck. away from me. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> and you hear a plane is about to come. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but you can't see the kid. If you see the kid, that's exactly no. Yeah. Then, then yeah. you'll be fine because right. you have to take care of that kid. Yeah. But as, if the kid is referenced, mm-hmm. then you're dead. You are dead. Um, and it's really important that you establish that the kid has a caretaker outside of you too. <laughs> just... That like, oh yeah, him and his mom. Right. I can't wait to see them. Yeah. <laughs> um, my last day. <laughs> Two weeks from retirement. Two weeks from retirement. <laughs> Yeah, uh, what is that? Um, Danny Glover, Lethal Weapon? Yeah. Is he always retiring in each movie, or does he come back? I, I haven't know. seen him. <laughs> I haven't even seen Lethal Weapon. I just saw, like, so many, um, yeah. like, McBain and uh, yeah, yeah. The Simpsons make fun of that. Two weeks from retirement, McBain! <laughs> yeah. I'll stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good McBain. What's the nerd one, too, yeah. where, where he, uh, he, he pretends to be a nerd, and, like, the bullies in high school beat him up, and he's obviously <laughs> McBain. <laughs> Yeah. So the other theme that I think is a lot more prevalent is man versus nature, um, is the idea of us muscling our way into a creature's native habitat and uh, awakening the beast and suffering the natural consequences of our hubris, you Mm -hmm. know, that we should have maybe just stayed where we are. And this manifest destiny is uh, what leads to our demise. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, doubled on by the fact that underwater is not our home field advantage like it's it's what happens in jaws like you said it's um a reminder that you are not in charge when you're swimming around and flapping your arms and legs like our bodies with all these appendages and stuff were not made to be fast in the water and so once you put someone in a place that they accept that and then you capitalize on that fear it's really it's really cool it would keep me out of the ocean if uh, i was afraid of sharks but i'm more afraid of the ocean in general (laughs) the ocean itself wants me dead i have nothing to offer it it eats people and it wants to eat me i just being i mean the only way you can be there is in this giant or a chamber that's pressurized and you know if anything happens that's it and then god forbid it gets inside now you're trapped Mm -hmm. in this place that was supposed to be your safe house now it's stuck in here with you and it's not like you can run there's a million pounds of water surrounding you in every direction Mm -hmm. and then the idea of photo migration that these things follow light as a food source and that yes light is a natural thing but we also recreate it through, you know, basically every piece of technology that we have blinks in some way, uh, gives off some kind of light. And so inserting all of that technology into this environment where that's just what it responds to, once again, it's just natural consequences. It's not this thing is like, you know, oh, it's going to kill the man that 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 killed his wife 10 mm-hmm. years ago. And it's got it's this dungeons. No, 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 it's a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, it's not like Jason or Freddy where it has some kind of like myth uh, M.O. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a beast. It's just right. a monster food. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't have any other themes than those two. 
yeah, I think that's that's really it. So uh, now I just I feel like I've already hit some of my uh, biggest thoughts here. Let me just go through and see if I've missed anything. Oh well, right off the bat, this movie feels very much like the thing, mm-hmm. in that it's a bunch of researchers trapped at a base and they're at the mercy of a monster that they have no idea where it is at any mm-hmm. given time. Now, the thing obviously plays with, like, oh, I can't trust anybody. Uh, it could be part of the monster element, but uh, I, I kind of got some of the thing vibes from this. But you mentioned Alien. Yeah, I got a strong... I mean, for me, this movie was pretty much underwater alien. It's almost the same storyline, but um, somehow it, it doesn't quite play on that. What Alien had was, like, a mystery of, like, what is this thing? And this this weird egg thing. Here, I, I wasn't that curious about this beast. Yeah, that's the thing is like if there is a, like you said, a mystery, a drawn out of uh, the various evolutionary stages. Because mm-hmm. first it's what are these facehugger things on our friend? Then what is this worm that escaped? Yeah. And now what is this black monster thing? Here, it's one thing, yeah. one beast. It's huge. It's fast. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we don't see it until an hour and six minutes in so there isn't even some like peppering in of an idea of what it could be it's just this unknowable thing we kind of know its powers i mean like it's got claws and uh, it can snip right and it's it's big and fast yeah that's not interesting right so like a big shark or something yeah crab and that's what i feel like this movie suffers for because the creature is good and they could have showed us it earlier it's not like they they had to hide uh, a really grossly designed bad monster it was great Mm -hmm. um but yeah it suffers from that they just kind of talk about it and run from the plot like there's just this idea of something bad that's pushed them a couple of times and now they're scared um and so it, it really rides on the actor's performances of like oh we need to get out of here and that that would work for maybe like an hour TV show, but and the other thing is like yeah they're afraid of this beast, but not that much. They're more afraid yeah. of like being. I mean their base is collapsing, so that's the water is, is more of a threat than the beast. Yeah, so it's it feels of, like they're more concerned with just escaping, mm-hmm. but it feels more like escaping for the sake of escaping more rather than like for their lives. There's yeah. something weird that's missing from this equation that makes the stakes, which are obviously very big and there in your face, mm-hmm. feel like not that big a deal. Yeah. From the like, reactor right. to the monster to like the uh decompression problems and the oxygen, like they all say that they're problems, but they never show us that they're problems. Mm-hmm. Everything kind of works out. It's just yeah. like people die because they panic or because they back into something. Yeah. Had you just remained calm, everything would have been cool. Yeah, pretty much. Um, like I said, I love science deaths mm-hmm. in any movie. I think like the first one I can remember being really impressed with was uh, Mission to Mars. There's uh, a scene in it where there's like a Mars tornado and a dude gets sucked up into it and he's in the center of the tornado and he's spinning and spinning and spinning and he gets ripped apart wow. from like the centrifugal force. And I remember going like, is that what would happen if, like, you were in the center of a tornado? No, that is not what would happen. But I love it when yeah, movies... So cool. That, like, Yeah, so that's what made me realize, like, oh, scientific deaths are actually way cooler. Because you always wonder, even, like, as a kid, there's just the morbid curiosity of, like, yeah, 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 those are the rules. What happens when you break them? There's got to be a reason why I'm not allowed to take my helmet off in space other than you will die. I want to know literally what physically happens to my body. And so, you know, some movies will do it 
like um, I think Mission to Mars again mm-hmm. is where somebody removes their helmet in space and they immediately like flash freeze and they're just frozen and they they fly away. But um, I think it's Interstellar maybe that somebody oh, removes their uh, I can't remember. But there's another movie in space where somebody removes their helmet and instead they're like blood vessels in their eyes mm-hmm. explode like immediately and they explain later like. Yeah, his blood uh, subl- uh, sublimated. Like, it went from a liquid to a gas in his blood vessels. And I was like, what? I think that would happen, right? And yeah, so I love it when movies demonstrate the horrific realities of science. Mm-hmm. Of if you if you piss off lady science or lady physics, this is what will happen. And so the, the, the depressurization of him shooting up or like... Um, People getting like yeah spun and crushed from from force like that. I I, I love seeing that kind of stuff. Cool. Do you do you like do you like sciencey deaths? I guess so. Yeah. I because mean, uh, like, you seem to be more in actual science than I am, mm-hmm. at least on a daily basis. And I guess like so, it's either I don't know. Like a, I don't even know if I would consider it a sciencey death, but maybe like a physical death that's not a a gunshot, maybe or a knife stab. Or a knife, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, that's definitely cool to see as opposed to or getting crushed. Even like yeah. I like yeah, I like seeing the physical forces of the real world mm-hmm. at their nth degree and yeah. seeing like how much pressure can a person withstand. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, yeah, maybe yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of morbid, but that's oh, why sure. I like these movies. Sure. Yeah, that's why I come to them. Mm-hmm. So my last thought is that uh, have you seen Friday the Thirteenth? Friday the Thirteenth, the original. Uh, no. No worries. At the very end, there's a shot of the, uh, I forget her name, but she survives and she swims out or she's on a canoe and she goes out into the middle of Camp Crystal Lake because that's the only safe place where no one can get her and she falls asleep there. And then she wakes up and there's like people on the shore saying like, hey, we're here to save you. And so she's like, oh, great. And then Jason pops up for one last big scare and then she wakes up and it was a dream. She's in the hospital already. Mm -hmm. But uh, Sean S. Cunningham directed the original Friday the 13th. So I have to imagine that when they're up on the shore and you finally see the sun and it's such a relief that when the monster pops up for one last scare, it's got to be a direct homage to his own movie. Yeah, that's a good touch. Um, yeah, other than that, it's a shame that Collins really starts the movie as probably the most intelligent like member of the crew and then just slowly becomes just this person that watches and observes and hopes and wishes that things weren't happening, but they do. It's weird. So, uh, I usually like to do kills, 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 but we already went through all of them. <laughs> um, everybody dies except for uh, McBride and... Collins, mm-hmm. they end up together. Um, I could go in order of how they di- of uh, when they died and how they died, but frankly, I don't yeah. think that's very fun or interesting. Yeah. So my last segment that I usually do, well, my second to last segment is Theory Canal, where we mm-hmm. talk about, so like when I was in college, I took one class that was called Writing for Film, mm-hmm. and it wasn't screenwriting. It was like review writing, and her thing was um, any the professors. Pr- yeah, one second. And the professor said that, like, I don't remember how she phrased it, if it was a qualifier for any good movie or uh, I think it's just, like, good endings to movies leave you going, wait, what happens next? Mm. Like, that 
it's you know such a good story that you, you you're disappointed that it's ending. You're like, what happens next? So I'm curious, what do you think happens next at the end of these credits when they're floating away above a nuclear <laughs> reactor? Yeah. So um, I imagine there's going to be some uh, debriefing. Like, hey, yeah, what just happened? All your crew died <laughs> down there. What the hell happened? Yeah. You're saying it's a a crab lobster <laughs> yeah. thing that attacked you? We saw chunks of something <laughs> when we found you. Well, not even because they floated away from it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You're yeah. saying a giant crab attacked you? Hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking you killed them. <laughs> Likely yeah. story, bro. So, so, yeah, before all of this happened, um, Col- Collins was, like, on f- the fast track to be uh, at Officer Candidate School. Mm-hmm. I don't think so after this. I think they're going to prison. Well, I mean, who's going to refute their story? I mean, I-, I imagine they would believe them, but... Oh, I don't. Yeah. I would assume that these two people, like... I don't know, got pregnant and went mad and they killed everyone on board and then blew up the reactor. I don't yeah. know. It's just like there's no evidence mm-hmm. and how do you prove any of it? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you can't really go down there now. It's blown it's, up. Well, maybe blown up or maybe there's too much radiation and mm-hmm. there's got to be, I don't know, some do you environmental think, impact from that. Do you think that was the only creature that was yeah. down there? I don't know. That's another question. It's like that was the biggest one, but mm. there's got to be other prehistoric things down like, there. Does it mate? Does it reproduce mm. sexually? I don't yeah. Know. Maybe asexually? Yeah. Bunch Maybe of eggs it's... down there? Mm-hmm. That would be a fun little uh, final shot. Mm. Oh, yeah. That, like something like that could have been like. <gasps> yeah. But um, yeah, so I'm thinking that they sail away. They do get rescued eventually. Um, like that thing has a beacon or whatever, and the Navy picked them up. But they don't make it past the briefing, the debriefing. <laughs> like they start asking them questions, and they go, so you're going to find this hilarious. <laughs> funny crab, story. Funny story. Super funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're going to laugh yourself. Uh, this crab ate everybody and killed everybody. And uh, I'm pregnant, so I got to go take care of this. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're going to answer for your crimes. We're going to throw you in prison. You're not going to be an officer, and you're going to rot. And that's it. I mean, I, I think they would believe them. I mean, there's nothing to to doubt their story. There's okay. only two of them. So and then would they be the same thing? Would they be heroes? Would they be held up as like uh, pioneers for for discovering a new creature and then promptly killing it? I mean, it's it's a botched mission. So oh yeah, yeah. so maybe they just, they just get in trouble. Like, yeah. well, all right, we're gonna have a file. But there's in your a lot record. of ex- like uh, what do you call it? Extr- uh, circumstances that are extenuating circumstances. circumstances. Yeah. You know, so once again, that you can't prove. Mm-hmm. So I like yours. I like your interpretation because yeah. mine just throws a pregnant woman in prison. <laughs> And yours lets them just be disgraced, but they get to yeah, live their lives at least. Right. They probably get court-martialed, but sure. they get to... Then how do you even judge that? Like, oh, yeah, like maybe it's true. Maybe there's nothing... Like, I don't even remember if it's true, and I lived it, like, kind of thing. Yeah. You're probably... God, you watched everyone die over, like, an afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to mess with you in some way. They're surprisingly calm about their crewmates dying. <coughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, that was so shocking. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised, too. The only person that they really mourn is Captain Laidlaw. Right. Everyone else, they're like, uh-oh, oh. they're not. They're dead. <laughs> Quick, we got to get out of here. Yeah, that's the price of underwater missions. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. So now... Presumably, they spent months with these people, and they're, they're like, all right, well, dead. Yeah, Let's... like, they definitely spent months with these people. Yeah. That's a really good point. <laughs> so now we can get to the final segment, which is where we rate this movie oh we, we also get into technical goofs oh there, yeah there are a few that, oh if you uh, had some by all means for, for starters there's a lot of um radio communications 
which you yeah. cannot have underwater. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's bad. They do it constantly. Yeah. How would you communicate? So, uh, I mean, you, you could presume that the base has, like, is wired up, but as soon as they go into, like, a submarine or something like that, you can't, it has to have a wire at least. Interesting. And so you can't go into a cave with a wire, you'll get snagged. Is that because of the, the water pressure, the density, the waves just can't travel? Like, you just can't um, send radio frequencies through water that well. Oh. It doesn't. So, so what do we far. do today for submarines like. We, we just don't. They, they're. They're autonomous. Oh, as, wow. As soon as they, so they, really? you can do it like maybe 20 feet underwater. So they, they'll surface up to that point and they'll have like a periscope that goes up. And then you can kind of communicate with the satellite for a little bit and then they go down and that's it. But what about in movies where like they're in a nuclear sub and the captain like takes a call and he's like, right away, sir. And they close it and they're about to launch the nukes or whatever. Like, how did he receive the. So okay. it's possible that they were near the surface when that happened. Okay. Okay. You, do it. you have to be like but when you're 20 the, feet. That's it. Yeah. But the bottom of the ocean, it's not happening. No, it's, it's like 20 feet. It's only what you can do right now. Okay. And they are way further than they're that. I mean, the, the, bottom. the remote is at the bottom of that cavern. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, what else? Um, <laughs> That's a big one. Yeah. So yeah, I was trying to explain it like, okay, maybe they have some wires communicating, but then if they go into a cave, those wires would not uh, not work. Yeah, and they were visibly detached. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like maybe the bases had like fiber optics going between them and something, but once again, you're doing more yeah. work for the screwdrivers <laughs> right. here. They were just like, well, they have to talk to each other, so they have radios, radios whatever. Yeah. Um, the other thing is. Yeah, the blowing the ballast and making it go down. Yeah. Uh, there's also, like, in... <laughs> one of them got hurt, and they were like, okay, let's take an EKG or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Collins. Um, when she's... Uh, after she survives Barciaga's and uh, Captain Laidlaw's death, mm-hmm. they take her over and they put, like, some electrodes on her. Right. And then... But it was an ultrasound, and you can yeah. see the baby. <laughs> yeah. Then they, she does that for no reason. She's like, oh, by the way, this is just the end of the procedure, like we always do. <laughs> we uh, check your heartbeat with an ultrasound. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so that's, that's it. That's okay. So, so now we can, with all of that in mind, we can rate this movie on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst and five mm-hmm. being the best based on anything. It could be on based on what we talked about or it could just be based on nothing at all. Uh, Mike, how do you rate this movie? Boy, um, I'd probably go with one thumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm close. I'm close. Do you want to say why? Sure. And and the, here's the thing is it puzzles me as to why I think it's so bad because it reminds me so much of Alien, which I loved. Uh, but still, I, I, there's nothing. It should be good. Yeah, why is this not Alien? And um, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, maybe, like, at first I thought, okay, I'm not really connected to these characters. But then again, how much was I really connected to the people on Alien? Like, maybe Sigoni Weaver's character a little bit. At least. But- but, but the rest I, of the crew kind of the same. I feel like it's important to have a lead, yeah. one person that we all look to, and Collins never really fills that role. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. So yeah, it's part of it. The other is maybe the the mystery of it. Like, like why is this? I loved uh, an alien where the ship's mission was originally cargo, and then you know the the android I forgot his name was he got the signal that hey our real primary mission is to explore life and you got to get this alien back at all costs. The crew is expandable and that reveal was great. And then here there's nothing that's really revealed. It's kind of, it's kind of just, Hey, let's make it back to the surface. It's dangerous. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Who are you going to give your thumb to? 
Oh boy. Oh boy. Um I can tell you their name if you just remember who they uh, what they what did. What was the captain's name? Captain breaks, Laidlaw. Captain Laidlaw who broke his back. And uh, a really cool scene. He 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 kind of puts them all in danger knowing that they would have to leave in or order drown. to not save them. Yeah. So, that's kind of cool. And also I feel like he's just expediating his own death yeah. cuz he's going to suffer there mm-hmm. if he didn't drown himself. Right. He'd be there for hours probably slowly mm-hmm. dying. Yep. Yeah. I'll I think know. he deserves it. Nice. Sure. Good choice. Not that I'm judging. It's just <laughs> up to you. I just I agree and maybe I'll give him one too. Yeah, this movie, I'm going to give it two thumbs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it two thumbs because it looks great. Sure. And it's shot pretty well. Like yeah. the underwater shots are really fun. Are some of those CGI? No, no, they no. were all filmed uh oh, man, I forgot to write it down, but they were all filmed somewhere here in California mm-hmm. in a uh, big giant basin. What about the like external shots of their old models with uh, like Yeah, models mm-hmm. and uh, slow-mo, you know, like uh, they would just have the miniature and they would slow it down to make it look like it was underwater. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, no CGI as far as I know. Cool. Um, even the monster was all practical, just super cool. Got to give a big shout out to the creature effects man, Mark Showstrom, who of course worked on Videodrome, Nightmare on Elm Street 1 through 3, Evil Dead 2, and Poltergeist 3, and designing the Eurypterid monster, a.k.a. the Deplodon which it's never referred to as either in the movie, but uh, what are you going to do? So, yeah, I'm going to give it two stars. The remote probe sequence is fun. You get, like, that mystery and the music of, like, uh, intrigue as the characters are all discovering this new place together. Um, But once the monster attacked, all you want to do is see it, and all you want is just some answer for, like, yeah, I know everyone's worried, but how worried should I be? Because I just, I can't figure it out. I, I... yeah, I feel like you said a lot of the things that I was going to say. Um, I, I I haven't seen Alien. I really should. That's Maybe great. we should do it yeah. for this podcast. Um, but uh, So I can't compare it to that. I can just compare it to other 80s horror movies. So I, I'm giving it more than one because visually it's really uh, – it, it, it looks it great. It's shot great. The um, And on an $8 million budget, which is – yeah, yeah, which is great yeah. for for a sci-fi like this, where all you have the to, water and, uh-huh, all yeah. that water, all those water shots, the shot at the end that looks like an ocean, yeah. like that kind of stuff. Um, I wonder if that was filmed on the ocean. It looked too big. Maybe it was green screens and stuff. I'm sure. Yeah, or backdrops. Yeah. I don't know. It was 89. It's not like this is 60s, like where they didn't have technology. Yeah. <laughs> they had technology in the 60s. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to give this. technology. <laughs> they had to film by, by etchings, and they just had to line them up, and you ran from left to right <laughs> to watch this uh, animation. Uh, um, yeah, so I'm going to give it two thumbs, and I'm going to give my two thumbs. I'm going to give one to, uh, let's see to give one to Scarpelli because she no mm, let me think for a little bit take your time this is, this is more I'm gonna give one to Snyder the mechanic because okay. he does a really good job of showing this slow boil mm. of just getting beat down by everyone around him and by the circumstances and he really is just doing his job yeah. even though he's a little hot-headed and right. kind of like a womanizer well I guess he's not no no not. that's the thing is like he's not he just Screwed up a little, and he's been on edge since, and then yeah. he gets more more so. They even say, like, now that's a guy that needs a day off. Mm-hmm. It's like, more like a month. Yeah. Then give him one. <laughs> you give Nia the day off for no reason, and she's, like, doing some research. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe give him a day off. He's the mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to give one to him, and I'll give another one to... I guess I could give it... 
I'm going to give it to Sean S. Cunningham, the director, Sean S. Cunningham, for uh, putting this movie together, getting his friend Patrick and uh, Patrick Markey and Louis Abernathy and Jeff Miller and Mark Showstrom to make this amazing movie mm-hmm. that I'm only giving two stars yeah. or two thumbs. Well, it looks great. I mean, it it's, looks it's great. Good. The monster is yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I could cut some of the best scenes from this movie and you'd still know what this the mm-hmm. plot was and uh, it would be like maybe a five-minute video but uh yeah so two thumbs two thumbs for our uh deep star six and that's that so um mike did you have a instagram or twitter or something that you want people to follow you you don't no, want people following I don't you want people following okay you. no worries well if you have any thoughts on what pressurization means and uh could let us know please. what the heck happened uh in that's uh, that decompression chamber i would love to know please reach out on uh Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. I have YouTube uh, videos up now, and I'll have this one posted. TheGoryDays.com. You can email me at TheGoryDaysPodcast at gmail.com. That's over five ways to contact me and let me know what you think about this movie or past movies or any TV shows that you think I should cover or educate me on pressurization. Please, please, please. Um, But without further ado, until next time... Stay scary out there. Gory days. Gory days.